0: So James was about to graduate high school, and he was living up in the panhandle of Texas in the Amarillo area in a small community right outside of Amarillo. And his dad said, well, James, I I know that you feel like you've got a call in your life to reach the world and go win the nations for Jesus, but you need to get a job. So James went out reluctantly, and he was a little behind the curve on it because all the good summer jobs had already been taken up, which basically... Their little community was the Dairy Queen and maybe a couple of other places. And so he was looking for a job and could not find one. He gets into, you know, a few weeks into the month of June. If you know anything about the Panhandle of Texas in June, we would always seem to get about a week or two of over 100 degrees. It was just like, here's summer. It just comes roaring in. And then it would seem to pan out, and then August would hit. So it was always this weird cycle we were in, and this was no different. It was hot and all of his friends were playing and all that and his dad kept saying all right i found you a job and james was like great i think and he said he said i want you to meet this guy he's a friend of mine and you're going to meet him over by the dairy queen and he's going to tell you what to do his dad did not tell james what he was going to do so he shows up in the dq parking lot meets this man in a big dually pickup west texas fashion the man says hi my name's so and so and james introduces himself James didn't bring gloves. He was in jeans. He was not prepared for what was about to happen. This man walked over to his truck, and he pulled out what I have come to know as a yo-yo. Anybody know what a yo-yo is? could be a swing blade, but a yo-yo is what I grew up swinging, and that's what we called it. And it's, this, it's this torture device that with a stick about this long, a handle, and then it's got like a hoop, like a U on it with a double-sided serrated blade. And I know that because I got very acquainted with one. And so he pulls out this yo-yo, not to be mistaken with a Duncan butterfly, but it's a typical yo-yo, and he hands the kid, James, this and says, all right, you see this bar ditch? And what it was, it was the end of a long bar ditch where it drains under a culvert, and it was grown up with weeds, and they were as tall as young James. And he said, your job for however long it takes, is to literally clear this bar ditch. I want all these weeds gone. <laughs> and the kid had no idea. James did not know what he was getting into. So he hands him the yo-yo, and he says, I'll be back at lunch to check on you, see your progress. He picks up this yo-yo, never swung one of these in his life. In fact, the kid never really hit a lick in his life. And he grabs this thing, and he, and he takes a little swing at the weeds, a little relaxed swing, and nothing. I mean, we're talking tall. So he begins to go after this bar ditch, and he starts to swing, and starts to swing, and within 10, 15 minutes, he's dying. It's 100 degrees. He's not dressed for He's in jeans. To top it all off, about an hour into this thing, he's starting to get blisters on his hands. If you've ever swung a yo-yo, you know how that can happen. And as he's starting to feel the pain and the exasperation and the, oh, Lord, what has my dad gotten me into, he's just starting to get upset. He's starting to get mad even. See, what you don't know, his backstory is that while he was in high school, the Lord had called him to the ministry. And the Lord had said some things and made some promises. He felt like God promised him he was going to have a thriving church, and they were going to reach nations. And he was going to be on the mission field some and preach and teach and, and win people to Jesus. And he had these great ideas of glory. And here he was after graduation, before Bible school, in a bar ditch by the Dairy Queen. And to make it all worse, his friends kept driving by, and they're all in bathing swimsuits because they're going to the local pool to swim as they do during the summer in small-town America. they keep pulling up going, Hey, James, why don't you come swimming with us? He's like, got to work. And they're like, Oh, you're doing great. Keep after it. And 30 minutes later, they drive back up and harass him some more. And he's getting mad. He's getting frustrated. Here he is in this bar ditch, just swinging this thing for all he's worth. Eighteen-year-old, just giving it everything he had, and he's barely making a, a dent in this thing. And then he starts to do what most of us do when we find ourselves in a bar ditch on a hot summer day: we start to complain, pray. You know what complain, pray is? We're sort of praying, sort of complaining. Job made a made a whole thing out of it, but we start to just complain and. And start asking those questions of why me? Why is this happening? But God, you promised the nations. God, you, and, and he gets nothing. You ever prayed and nothing? You ever been melodramatic and still get nothing? He was getting nothing and here he is killing himself in this bar ditch. And his friends are harassing him. And he's like, but Lord, they're going to the pool. They're having fun. They don't have to work. And he just keeps doing it. And at some point during the midday, after his hands are blistered, he's getting sunburned. He's in jeans. He's not dressed for this. Something starts to rise up on the inside of him. Just just a tiny voice, a still, small voice. says, why don't you praise me? (laughs) He's already mad. So it's like, Lord, you're just throwing fuel on the fire here. You're just messing with me. It's like, why don't you praise me? And so he just said, well, hallelujah. (laughs) You ever taken out the trash for one of your parents with a really angry, mad face? (laughs) You're slamming things around, knocking things around. You're doing it, but you're not happy about it. That's how he was praising God in his bar ditch. Keeps swinging that thing. Friends keep coming by. And he starts to say, hallelujah. Praise God. Bless God. (laughs) He's getting fired up. What happens, though, as he continues to begin raising this hallelujah anyway, something begins to rise up in him. Strength begins to rise up in him. The joy of the Lord begins to rise up in him. Life begins to rise up in him. Praise begins to rise up. He begins to shout, hallelujah, anyway, swing, Praise the Lord. Bless God. I'm blessed to do this. Then he starts claiming promises. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And James just, just goes, and the more he praises God, the more energy and passion he gets. He said, man, it looked like there was a, a, a massive mower running through there and stuff's flying everywhere. He said, I was covered in weeds and grass and dirt. And he said, I was praising God. My friends continued to drive by, and I didn't even care. He said, by the time I got through at the end of that day, he said, I'd cleared a massive swath through that because I made up my mind I was going to praise God in the middle of my bar ditch. I was going to shout, hallelujah, anyway. Some of you right now in your place, and I know this because I'm as human as you, you find yourself in a bar ditch on a hot June day in the Texas panhandle. Things are not like you planned. Maybe you've even stood on God's word or stood on promises and they're not being realized. Things are not working out for you. You're in a bar ditch right now and you're surrounded by weeds and all you've got is a little stick with a hoop on it. You're like, really God? This is what I got? Let me tell you something. If you will begin to let praise rise in your belly, You begin to let praise rise in your heart. And not just here, but here. And not just here, but here, where it begins to get on your lips. And you begin to offer a sacrifice of praise. You learn how to shout hallelujah. I'm telling you, you will shout your way. And you will hallelujah your way. And you will praise your way out of your bar ditch. That doesn't mean it will happen overnight. Your bar ditch may be like the valley of the shadow of death that you're walking through. But you know what the Bible says in Psalm 23? Yea, though, I walk through it, not that I stop and pitch a tent. I'm not sightseeing. I'm not building a house here. Some people have built a house in the middle of their shadow of the valley, of the valley of the shadow of death, and they're actually dwelling there. And that is not what God's purpose is on your life. God's looking for a people who will praise him in the middle of their bar ditch, in the middle of their valley. When it's not fun, when it actually takes faith to live. There you, go. you know, there's a reason, family, why they call this the faith. Because sometimes we have to walk by it. Like young James did. By the way, James, end of story, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. He ended up pastoring that church, and he is pastoring a thriving church to this day. Still pastoring that church in Amarillo, Texas, and they're touching nations. He constantly refers back to his breakthrough when he praised God in a bar titch. So you're asking, okay, he did it, how do I do it? So this is why we are going down this road and we're taking a journey together through the book of Philippians. I love the letters, epistles, you may have heard them. They're letters that were written, not books, but letters written to churches during Paul's missionary journeys. Now, when I refer to Paul, I often call him the missionary because he's the apostle Paul, and the word apostle means missionary. So if I say the missionary, you know I'm talking about Paul. So the missionary wrote letters to various churches, and we would even maybe say outposts because we, these were not large, thriving churches like we think about in Dallas-Fort Worth or Houston or even here. These were small churches that met from house to house and were gatherings of local people. In fact, in a given community, if there were not uh, 10 Jewish people, they couldn't even start a synagogue. So Paul was on these travels and on these journeys, and you can read this in Acts 16, where he was establishing these outposts, these little gatherings of followers and believers. He was preaching the gospel, teaching winning people to Jesus, and then establishing these works Philippi was one such work. I'm going to show you on a map where that is just so you can get a frame of reference and because I'm nerdy that way. So listen to this, definition of hallelujah. I want you to look at the screen. Hallelujah, it's actually two words put together. It's hallelujah, it's Yah, so it's like literally praise Yahweh. And it means praise God. Or, listen to this, a shout or song of praise. And you're going to see in just a minute, I'm trying to get out of everybody's camera's way. So I'll post, no I won't, I'll post something else online later. But anyway, I'll let y'all get a clear shot of that. It literally means this, a shout or song of praise. And song is important too, because when we raise our hallelujah, and we shout hallelujah, we also sing hallelujah from our bar ditch. Look at this, it's a song of praise, joy, or thanksgiving. In its simplest form, it's like saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I come out of a tradition where there was a lot of hallelujahs thrown around. Problem was, nobody knew what it meant. You know what I'm talking about? We say things in church, and we assume we all know. We call that Christianese. and We assume everybody knows what we're talking about, but sometimes we just don't know. So now you know. When you say hallelujah, and when we sing that song, I raise a hallelujah, I'm raising a praise the Lord. I'm raising a blessed God. I'm raising a praise God. That's what we do when we worship. That's what we do when we praise Him. And it's really fun and sometimes easy here, but it's not always easy when you're stuck in a bar ditch on a hot summer day. Listen to this. The church at Philippi, I want to give you some background on that because context is king, right? The letter to the believers in Philippi is all about joy. You know what my one word for the year is? No, it's fun. But Annette said it wasn't spiritual enough, so I changed it to joy. So it's joy. <laughs> Thank you, baby. It's joy, so I sound more spiritual, but I'm serious. I'm enjoying playing in the presence of my father. He's teaching me to not be childlike. or No, let me say it. He's teaching me not to be childish, but to be childlike again and to recover wonder. So the letter, it's about joy. It's about rejoicing. The word joy is used 16 times in four short chapters. Paul's affection for this outpost, this little church in Macedonia, established on his third missionary journey with Silas. And remember Timothy? We'll we'll come back to Silas in just a minute. It's evident throughout the book. His love, his affection. It's a letter of joy and life-giving encouragement. That's what the book or the letter to the Philippians is all about. And we have to go a little bit of nerdville right here. So let me do this. Look at this. And I even have a cool nerdy pointer. Check this out. Third missionary journey, his mission outpost base was Antioch. So they launched out, he and Silas and Timothy started here in Antioch. Actually, he and Silas initially, they picked up Timothy later. And they start off here, and you can see they go to Tarsus, Iconium, Antioch, Phrygia, that area. And they actually thought Paul had a good idea, it just wasn't a God idea. Anybody relate? You ever had a good good idea, but it wasn't a God idea? And God actually stopped you while you were doing a good thing? Because there was a greater thing to be done, a God idea. So here's what happens: They're going to turn north. This is and this is all in the uh, book of, of Acts, Acts 16. So they're here and they're actually wanting to go up north, and the Holy Spirit prevents them. The Lord says no, and He's like, "Yeah, but that's all unreached. We need to preach the gospel there." The Lord says, "I have another plan." So the Lord actually directs them, and they continue their journey down to Ephesus. Remember the book two of the letter to the Ephesians? That's Ephesus right there. They turn north there, and they camp out, and they're staying in Troas. And while they're in Troas, there comes a dream, or what we call the Macedonian call. Remember that? So here is the missionary. The missionary teams together here in Troas and he has a dream where he sees somebody standing on the shore over in Macedonia calling out, come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. He determines that is from the Lord and he, they make plans and they immediately leave and they go over to this area right here. I'm getting a little pointer there right here just just outside of Neapolis, and they end up in Philippi. While they're in Philippi, an interesting thing happens. He's going around teaching the gospel. He's looking for Christians. Is there a synagogue there? It's a thriving city, by the way, but it was full of darkness, a lot of corruption, a lot of different religions were there and represented. And while they're there, they, they go down to a river just to clean up and whatnot, and they meet a group of ladies there, and there's a lady there named named Lystra. Now, the interesting thing about her is that she is a seller of purple, which means she was not some poor villager. She was actually, it'd be like a fashion icon in our day. Those who sold purple were actually quite wealthy. It was a very elite market. And so he meets her, leads her to Christ, Lydia, not Lystra. Lystra is a place, Lydia. He, meet, he leads her to Jesus, and all of her household, because she probably had a large group and a large group of people that worked with her and for her, all of her household gets saved. They come to know Christ. There, the outpost of Philippi is established as a church on Paul's third missionary journey. But that's not the end of the story. The next thing that happens is Paul is going through the community, and this woman, this young girl, keeps following him around and shouting out. These are the sons of the Most High God. These are the sons, and about two or three days into it, Paul's had enough. Now, what she's saying is the truth, but the problem is it's not her saying it. It's a spirit driving her and harassing them. And what he, he finally just gets fed up. Paul turns to her and literally rebukes the enemy, rebukes the spirit in her, and the spirit of divination leaves her, And all of the men that were cashing in on her gift, which we know was a curse, they're furious. And don't think that spirit's not alive today. The manipulation of young women, the manipulation of young boys, the manipulation between child trafficking, sex trafficking, don't think it's not happening here under our nose. And we talk about conversations needing to be started in the church. This is another one. And we are going to start that conversation here. But in the meantime, this is what's going on. There's a spirit that drives that behavior. And these men were manipulating and cashing in on this this kid, this young person. And instead of going, that's amazing, Paul. Look what you did. You freed her. You delivered her from her bondage. Instead, they start a riot Have them taken into the authorities. And they say, these Jews are disturbing and causing a problem here. They're destroying our economy. And they get thrown in jail. Now, Timothy was not with them and did not get caught up in that. But Silas was. Do you remember Paul and Silas together in a jail? This is that. So they're together in the jail. And they're put in stocks. They can't even move. And the doors are shut. And there's a jailer, a Philippian jailer, which you may, this may ring a bell in a minute. So during the middle of the night, what do they begin to do? Oh, they begin to raise a hallelujah, don't they? Remember what the word hallelujah means? Not only is it a shout, it's a song. They begin to shout and sing the praises of God in the middle of that deep, dark jail cell, waiting for sentencing the next day or two. The jailer... And all of those there are listening to them raise a hallelujah. They're listening to them shout hallelujah anyway and in spite of their situation. As that happens, God decides to show up and show out because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God inhabits the praises of what? His people. Do you know when we praise Him, He likes it? When we praise Him, He shows up and indwells, inhabits, and literally takes a seat in praise. Do you know why we worship like we're losing our minds? Because we know this principle is true. When we praise him, he shows up. And he brings more than relief, he brings restoration. So that's why we praise him so hard. That's why we love him so hard. It's because we just want him to come and hang out with us. And we know he's attracted. They were doing that. God shows up, God shows out. The jail doors blow open. There's an earthquake. Everything shakes. The jailer, because of his understanding, and remember, this is a Roman colony at the time, and they're under Roman rule, so he was under Roman rule and under Roman authority. He knew it was a death sentence for him because to lose a prisoner meant a horrific death. He takes out his sword in the middle of the night, and he is about to fall on it, and the missionary, Paul, says, whoa, whoa, wait. We're all here. First of all, it's a miracle that this earthquake happened. The second miracle was nobody left. A jail full of criminals, thieves, prisoners, felons. Doors open. See ya. No, they didn't leave. Let me tell you, God, God was working something here. And this is what happened. Very cool story. What happened was. Paul said, look, we're all here, we're all here. And the jailer was like, he says these famous words. You remember this? What must I do, finish it, to be saved? Now, he meant physically, but Paul had a different idea. Paul goes with him to his house. Can you imagine just the risk involved in sneaking a bunch of prisoners into your home in the middle of the night, and he and his household were saved? Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's the son of God. He was who he said he was. And anyone who will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, the gospel. He preached the gospel to them. They all got saved, got, got born again. The Philippian jailer, thought, was thinking physical salvation And Paul said, oh, I got something way better than this. He preached the gospel. And then they went back to jail before sunrise. All the prisoners back in place, doors shut, all of that. And the end of the story is this, or at least the continuation piece, now I'll move on, is that that the authorities got wind of this because Paul made a comment. He said, how dare you imprison Roman authorities or, or citizens of Rome and all of a sudden, all bets were off. They, they didn't realize. They thought they were Jewish citizens. They were Roman citizens. And by law, they did a mistrial. They did everything wrong. And they begged them to leave. They begged them to leave. And the story continues. And his journey continues. So that's what happened at Philippi, all kinds of amazing things. Read it. It's Acts 16, verses 1 through 40. Check it out. It's amazing. So that's the journey. They're in Philippi over here in Macedonia from the Macedonian call, which is all under Roman rule, and that is the setting for this story. And listen to these. We're going to do two verses today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at philippi lydia and her family and all them and the jailer and all of them together he's writing a letter back to them together with the overseers and deacons now we see structure beginning to come into place elders deacons and we see now structure happening because the church this had happened a little bit later look what he says two things he wishes upon them he confers upon them grace and peace Let me give you a simple working definition. It says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've broken this down before, but it's important because we've got to get this. Grace, if you ask most people who've been in Sunday school all their life in church, if you say, can you define grace? They'll go, oh, I know what grace is. It's unmerited favor. My first question back is, did Jesus need unmerited favor? They're like, no, he was perfect. Why would he need unmerited, undeserved favor? I said, he didn't need it, but what he needed was God's power. I did a deep dive study years ago, exegeted this, pulled it out of Koine Greek, dove in, read every commentary I could get my hands on, and I did a deep study. This is 20 years ago. And I came out of that with this definition because I realized grace is not passive. You need to know that because a lot of times when we use a word like grace, we think, oh, grace, okay, laying in a hammock on a spring day. Just enjoy, just life is good. No, 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 wait. You don't need that, although that's nice. That might be more akin to peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Grace is simply this, broken down. It's God's power, God's strength, God's ability, God's authority, and God's favor. And it doesn't just stop there. To do what you cannot in and of yourself do. Did Jesus need that kind of grace? You bet he did. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? He was full of two things, grace and, help me somebody, truth, grace and truth. And by the way, they're not on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're hand in glove. They fit like this. So he had grace and truth, needed them, didn't need unmerited favor, but he did need power. He did need strength. He did need authority. He did need ability. And he needed the favor of God working in him and through him. And here's what's amazing about grace is that it is available to you and me. Paul says, this is what I want you to have. I want you to have grace and peace. The word peace in the, in the Koine Greek is the word Irenae. But the equivalent of it in the Hebrew is the word Shalom. You've heard that word before mentioned in various contexts. Here's what shalom means. It means wholeness. It doesn't mean an absence of conflict. It means wholeness. It means completion. It means integration. And here's a simple working definition I heard many years ago by a famous preacher. I stole it, quoted it five times, and now it's mine. I've said for years. <laughs> it's how that works. Here's what shalom is. Nothing missing, nothing broken. That is what wholeness is. Paul is saying, I want you to have grace, power, strength, ability, authority, favor. I want you to have shalom, wholeness, completion, nothing missing, nothing broken. That is what I wish upon you. Remember I mentioned something a minute ago, relief and restoration. This is so critical. And I'm going to insert this piece in here because we have got to go down this road. Listen, it's common to reach for relief when in fact what we really need is restoration. Relief is a temporary fix. It's a crutch or worse. It's a habit or worse. It's an addiction. And relief is something that we here in the West, probably everywhere, but I know we, all, we reach for this when we, what we need is shalom. What we need is grace. What we need is to play the long game in our walk with God. So what is it? What are we reaching for? Are we reaching for relief? Or are we going to embrace restoration? God wants to restore you. Look what it says here. Our souls are under assault, and we need a restoration of our souls. What's your soul? It's your mind, body, spirits, the whole of who you are. Our souls, we, family, are under assault. Would you agree? Yep. We learned it in our panel, and we had five. Amazing people up here breaking down some things that happen in our emotions and in our mental, uh, with our panel, with our mental health and our behavioral health. We see what's happening with the increase of suicide and other things. We are under assault. The next generation is under assault. Suicide now is a common conversation. Don't think it isn't. We can stick our head in the sand all day long, but it is a common conversation and is now becoming an acceptable out among the next generation. we got to wake up. We have to wake up because we're under assault. We don't need relief, family. We need restoration. So let me give you some really practical stuff. I want to give you something to do. How about some homework, somebody? Here's some homework. Here's what I want you to do. I'm an equipping pastor, discipling. I want to give you something to wrap your heart around and actually something for you to do. Here it is. Practice the one-minute pause. Now remember, we've talked about this. I brought it up a number of times. John Eldridge and his team at Ransom Heart had developed this. And it's a way to, I wrote it here, it's like a reset in the middle of your day. And it's basically this. This has become a part of my own language, my prayer vocabulary. We come to the Lord and we say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I'm telling you, you utter those words, there's a release that happens. It's a reset. It's pulling things back into right order. The next piece of that is you say, and Lord, would you heal my union? Father, would you heal my union with you? Jesus, would you heal my union, my fellowship with you? Holy Spirit, would you heal my union with you? Again, reset. The third part of that is then to ask and invoke the river of life, the river of God that flows from the throne of heaven, Ezekiel 47. Lord, I invoke the river of life to flow in me, through me, over me, under me, around me. Your river filling every nook and cranny of my life, every dark place filled with your presence, filled with the river of life then the last part is simple holy spirit would you fill me i'm a leaky vessel would you fill me with all that you are all that is it's a pause and a reset there is an app praise god and they're actually developing i noticed they've added some new pieces to it just recently there's an app called the one minute pause i'm asking you would you get that Go on your app store, on your phone, the one-minute pause, and lean into this. There's a one-minute, three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute. So there's something for everybody, and it's so amazing. It's just a way to gear down, reset in the middle of the day, and recalibrate your mindset. Here's another thing. Play worship music in your home. I know this sounds really basic, but some of us just need to do it. Sometimes the most basic things are the things we miss and we move on by. Play worship music in your home. We do this all the time. We'll, we'll put it on. We have a, an Alexa. Big Brother is watching. I'm not kidding and listening, and so we have one of those, and we just say, we just say, uh, Alexa, she'll probably come on in my pocket or something. Alexa, <laughs> can I help you with, I mean, she talks back to me all the time. Alexa, play Bethel music, or I'll say shuffle songs from Bethel music, and for the rest of the day, this thing just plays. And we leave and go to San Antonio, go do our business. We come back home and there's worship has been going in our house for hours. Let me tell you, don't think that doesn't shift an atmosphere. Don't think that doesn't change the molecules in the air. Something's different when we walk back in the house and there's been nothing but worship. Work, play it in your home, play it in your car, in your bathroom while you're in your shower getting ready. or while you're get, Listen, this sounds basic, but this is real. This is life to me. I do this every day. Everything I'm doing, I'm saying here, I do this. I have an iPad here. I've got all kinds of playlists on this. And I will put music on, and I'll set it in a corner of my bathroom because it seems to be louder if you put it in a corner. And I'll set it in there. I'll turn it up loud. And the whole time I'm in the shower and getting ready, there's music playing, playing. What's it doing? Saturating the atmosphere. Don't think it doesn't work because it does. So we getting ready to engage a new day. It sets the tone, set a tone, set an atmosphere with worship. So here's another. These are all simple, but you can do it. These are things we can all do right now. Get these words on your lips. Hallelujah anyway. Remember what you're saying? Praise God in spite of the situation. Praise God in spite of the bar ditch I find myself in. Hallelujah anyway. Let's try it together, but I want you to do it loud. First service was like, hallelujah. like, God, oh, Come on, <laughs> work with me, people. So I had to get them to do it a couple times. The third time, man, they were, they were going for it. So here we go. This is what i have to redo. Let's do it right the first time. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah anyway. Wow. Okay. No need to repeat on that one. That's good. Woo! I got chill bumps, literally. Goosies. I mean, it's like just shift the atmosphere. Don't underestimate the power of your words. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come up and get ready. They're going to go out with worship. (laughs) Speaking of, we're going to saturate the atmosphere on the way out. Do not underestimate the power of what is on your lips. The Bible says offering up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. We're literally saying, speaking. Here's the power of words. Jesus did not wish that Lazarus would come out of the grave. He spoke, he proclaimed, he declared the truth in the moment, and it shifted the physics. The physical world had to bend to the supernatural world when Jesus spoke with authority into Lazarus. Jesus, asleep on a boat, and they woke him up terrified. He didn't think about the storm going away, he got up and he said, He rebuked the storm. What is that? The power of force of words. Let's just go back to Genesis. In the beginning, God said, and it was. God said, and it was. The force of words. Something is created out of nothing with words. And when you begin to get on your mouth, hallelujah anyway. It's how young James praised his way out of a bar ditch into a church that's touching nations and making a difference because he decided he was going to praise God in the bar ditch. Would you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus. We're students before you. We're disciples. We're learners. We're pupils. And we are before you saying, teach us. And Lord, I'm asking for a favor. Would you restore our shout? Would you restore our hallelujah anyway? Would you give us the grace to raise a hallelujah and go to new places in this? New places in you. Father, that we will begin to see the tent pegs of our lives expanded. Our territory expanded. Because we've learned how to shout and how to sing hallelujah anyway. So we continue on this journey. I pray and I sense a lift coming. A lift in the atmosphere. But a lift corporately in the lives of our people. Because we're learning how to get this on our mouths. We honor you in this. In Jesus' name, everyone said hallelujah anyway. (laughs) I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up if you all would. We're just going to be up here if anybody needs prayer for anything.